Welcome again to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the weekly episodic visit to the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I had to correct myself again because we try to record it once a week, but it really kind of depends on whether you're one of those Netflix binge listeners or something and you just listen to them all at once. Um, I pray for you. <laughs> If you listen to me that much, I digress. Now, welcome, as I say, to the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, where we are currently studying the classic work by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. It is April 4th, 2019, today, as we record, and we are about to finish up book one. And uh, we're going to study chapter 5 of Mere Christianity. Uh, that's the plan for today. Hope you've enjoyed following along. I really want to urge you to join the Facebook group. We have some commentators on the Facebook group who are producing some really fabulous follow-up commentary. And if you really want to enhance the experience you're having with this podcast, go to that group and read those comments because they're really exceptional. So having said that, I want to remind you that I'm here uh, as your host. I'm Pastor Dan from Shiloh United Methodist, and helping me is my daughter Bethany tonight. Say hi, Bethany. Hello, Bethany. There she is, and ready to go here with uh, Book 1, Chapter 5, which is sort of a summary. Um, so the our, our study guide that we've been using reminds us that the law of human nature is like someone or something trying to send us letters from outside of the material universe. And this sounds like a trick or a religion wrapped up in a philosophy and logic. And if it only turns out to be religion, that has been tried and you cannot turn the clock back. Lewis replies to that with the points that we're going to discuss. <clears throat> Before we do the questions, though, I have to... Uh, I have to say something about that. Um, this is not the first time I've heard someone say, someone I trust, that we should think of Scripture as a message from outside our universe. That, that, that the Bible is a message, a coded message, from our Creator who is outside of everything that the Creator has made. And... Uh, so it's kind of refreshing to hear that reiterated from an entirely different source. And uh, this person that writes our study guide would seem to be a pretty knowledgeable expert on C.S. Lewis. So I'm kind of intrigued to find out that one of my all-time favorite theologians is in alignment with one of my very favorite Bible scholars, uh, prophecy scholars. So it's a neat concept to realize that the Bible is a coded message from outside our space and time. Um, do you have anything you want to say about that before we get into the questions? Nah. Yeah. I think you kind of covered that one. Yeah, it's a pretty cool concept. It is very cool. Okay, so... I mean, what I... Go ahead. I mean, I might be skipping ahead to the first question. I don't know. But what I thought was interesting is that he's saying, like, people have, like... Like, the people might have listened to him up to this point if it was something new and different. 
Mm-hmm. But as soon as they hear that it's, oh, it's religion, or they assume it's about religion, yeah. then they're like, well, that's all been said and done. And and he's like, yeah, but, you know, it's been said and done, so you can't, like, turn back time. Right. Which I think is pretty great. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and... it's still going to be talked about because it's still here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of like... You know, if you're walking the beach and you find a message in a bottle, um, you and everyone else who sees it can debate about where it came from, but it doesn't change the content of the message. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of a a neat way to look at it. Well, okay, so the first question is, what is the first point about putting the clock back? Well, you kind of already addressed that, but... um, Well, he says, like... He talks about, like, progress, Mm -hmm. and and I like what he says, because he kind of describes, like, if you're walking down the wrong road, or you're driving down the wrong road, you're gonna, whoever realizes it first and turns back around is gonna be the more progressive person. Yeah. Because they figured out they were wrong, and they went back, and now they're making progress. Well, Um, yeah, and and honestly, that's that's just kind of a, a... another way to put something we've talked about a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about people with circular arguments and, you know, protesters who march in a circle Mm -hmm. or something. Um, Too often we find that people uh, don't want to agree with your conclusions, but they're not willing to go back to a certain point and come up with their own conclusion. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, it's, it's like, it's like the Israelites saying, we want to go back to Egypt. We don't like it out here. And um, that's not really an option for them. So what they're really saying is, is I just want to complain and I don't really care about saying anything constructive. you know. And so the person who says, okay, look, maybe we are on the wrong track. Let's move back Yeah. Uh, to a certain point where we at least were pretty sure we knew where we were and reconsider where we should go from here. Or to put it in in Lewis's terms, I mean, sometimes the only way to progress forward is for you to admit that you've been wrong up to this point. Right. And so going forward means going back and then going forward in a new direction. Because he even says, like, actually, if your clock is wrong, putting it back is a a smart thing to do because you're fixing the clock. Right. But then he's like, but we're not really talking about clocks, guys. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about people. And if you are pigheaded and don't admit when you're wrong, then you're not progressive and you shouldn't assume you are. And he even says he feels like the world as a whole has not been very progressive. Well, I think he would be fascinated by the times we're living in right now, <laughs> um, certainly here in North America and the United States, because... There's an awful lot of people um, complaining, and nobody's really doing anything. And the people who are doing things aren't, are, aren't, you know, they don't have enough uh, clear mandate from any one group mm-hmm. or majority, I guess is a better way to put it. So, so there's just a whole lot of complaining going on and a few people trying to do something. And I don't know you know what to make of that i really don't but mm-hmm. perhaps the best thing to do is move on huh <laughs> regarding his second point religious jaw what does he mean by religious jaw well i think he's talking about jaw and like you know 
jawing like in the old south. Yeah, that's the way they you used know, to say. When it. we sit and talk, y'all just standing around doing John. a lot of jawing, but you ain't particularly going nowhere. My grandpa on occasion says John. Yeah, yeah. My my grandpa from my mother. <laughs> he uh, he talks yeah, a little like a country not one boy. Of my father's phrases. No, that's okay. But that's what I assumed is that he's saying like religious jaw, like religious gobbledygook, like, and not even gobbledygook, but just like the same tired stuff over and over again. Because that's what I think of when I think about John. You're just like talking to be talking. Um, and he he points out that like they haven't. He hasn't even dived into talking about the God of any particular religion. And even more so, he hasn't really dived into talking about the God of Christianity. So it's not religious jaw. It can't be because all he's gotten to is that like, there's something behind moral law. Um, and that like, he's not, he's not using any church related stuff to do that. He's like, he's really doing a mental exercise. Right. In fact, that's that's kind of the next question is a sub question of that religious jaw question is is and and remember that Christ, mere Christianity is a linear discussion mm-hmm. and it's meant to be linear. So section one or book one has taken all of its questions and responses not from religion right and not from bibles but just from the stream of reason yeah it's it's a mental and philosophical exercise really like yeah so in order and and i think it's funny i don't think that he is apologizing or feeling defensive here i think he's just starting from the premise that people will not take him seriously because he's now known as a christian scholar Mm-hmm. And so they just assume that he's just going to be spouting off a bunch of religious talk and a bunch of Bible talk. And so he wants to make sure you understand at the close of book one that up to now it hasn't originated in anything scriptural or religious. So you can't make that argument against him yet. Well, and it's very possible. And I, you know, he doesn't say it in here, but this this might just be the mental exercise he went through. Sure. When he's figuring things out. Well, I mean... Because he came from a place of non-belief. Yeah, and, like the, and so no doubt he remembers when he thought that everybody was trying to... Con- everybody that was trying to convince him... Yeah. ...was just giving a bunch of religious double talk. Right. And so now he has to say, okay, so far there hasn't been anything that originated in scripture or religion. So the next question is, what two bits of evidence do we have available then? Well, he points out that we have the universe. Right. That someone made. And I like it because he says, like, that with only that, like, if we didn't have any other clues, we could just assume that whoever made it is, like, awesome and artistic because it's beautiful, but also kind of a jerk because it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and, but yeah. then he says, but we also have another piece of evidence, which is the moral law, which kind of, when you put those together, makes him seem like less of a jerk. Um, like, 
and that the moral law is an even better way to find out about God than the universe. Right. Because you can figure that out just by having a conversation and listening to how people are choosing to do things and how they're making decisions. Yep. Yep. Well, you know what? You did such a good job with that. I don't have anything else to say. What can we expect if the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness? Well, so he spends a lot of time building up to that. And he's like, he says some things that I think are interesting. Like he says that because of the moral law, we can kind of assume that whoever this somebody is must be interested in like, like fairness and like, like virtuous behavior, basically like trust, like honesty and integrity and different things like that. And if we just stop there, then we can conclude that God is good. Right. But then, like, if we're still doing this philosophical exercise, we can't really conclude that on its own. Because, and he points out, like, again, we haven't gotten as far as, like, a personal God. We've, like, the only thing we've gotten to is that, like, he might be interested in those virtuous behaviors. But, like, what we really want is a God who can forgive us. When we don't do those things. And he's saying, like, we're still not there yet in our thought experiment here. Like, we we don't have the personal God yet. But the but he does point out, like, that if, if the universe... And I love this because it's a catch-22. If the universe isn't governed by absolute goodness, then anything we do is pointless. Like, there's no nothing to be reaching for Mm -hmm. but if it is governed by absolute goodness then everything that we do is putting us in opposition with that goodness right and so again we're kind of it's like a hopeless race Mm -hmm. so it's a catch-22 is like it's what i felt like he came down to saying is either way you look at it whether it's governed by absolute goodness or not, we're stuck in kind of this hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's just this overwhel- overwhelming evidence that good works, good thoughts, kindness, grace, mercy, um, you know, beautiful, warm, sunny days with gentle rains by night, all of these things in creation are considered good because of the general sense of well-being that they generate. Mm-hmm. And tornadoes and hurricanes and murder and lawlessness and greed and deception are all considered bad because of the general ill will that they generate. And it's like, you know... <laughs> No matter how you determine where that comes from, there are certain things that are pretty universal, and goodness comes in meeting needs or having needs met, and uh, evil comes in having me having needs stripped away, and stolen away, or damaged, or destroyed, or whatever. So. So there really is a a sort of continuum of that sort mm-hmm. of good versus evil, and so I guess that's where you get that concept of of 
you know, not mattering which way you choose to look at this, you're you're stuck either way. The catch twenty two. Well, and I think it's interesting because he says that like we've made ourselves enemies of whoever this somebody is, just because of the fact that we aren't always good. Right. And and what I think is really cool is he says like that goodness is either the great safety or the great terror. Mm-hmm. depending on how you're reacting to it. And he says, like, some people say they'd love to meet goodness, to gaze on the face of goodness, but they shouldn't because that should be, like, terrifying because mm-hmm. we're not doing that. And he says that as a, like, as a whole, he feels like we've reacted the wrong way. So, and to me, that means, like, we've chosen to look at goodness as this great safety when really, like, we should maybe be a little terrified. You know... I'm not sure if this still fits, but a couple of seconds ago, I was thinking about that uh, that Mr. Rogers documentary we watched mm-hmm. and how one of the very last public appearances he made was in response to the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And he just said to the children and to all of us, focus on the helping. Yes, look for the helpers. Look for the ones who are helping. You see all this terror and, and evil and you see this destruction and sadness and sorrow, but look at the people helping. Mm-hmm. Because there's the goodness. Yeah. You know, and And I think I think Lewis acknowledges that it like exists in the world and that's probably due to our moral law. But I think he's also saying that if we're equating whoever this someone who created the universe to with absolute goodness, then we should not want to be staring him straight in the face because we have nothing compared to that. And it should be a terrifying experience because we haven't gotten to that thing or well, that person, but not person who stands between us and that terror. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm following you. That's, that's yeah, I think, you know, okay. So, what can we expect if the universe is governed by an absolute goodness then? I mean, you well, kind of I think I, about yeah, that, I think but... I probably kind of already said that because the, like, that's the other side of that coin. Yeah. If the universe is governed by an absolute goodness, then we're hopeless because we're never we going to make meet ourselves that enemies to that absolute goodness. Yeah. We can never meet that goal. So what is his third point about, the roundabout manner he chose to get to his real subject. Well, and this is where I feel like you see how he came about it because I, I totally get what he's saying, but it doesn't quite fit for me. And I think that's just because I grew up in the church and I've, you know, I, I know everybody has a testimony and it's always been kind of fun, weird for me because I feel like I've always just felt like Jesus has been with me. Mm-hmm. As long, like, as long as I've understood who he is, which I felt like happened before I, like, ever went through confirmation or anything. Like, I've always Mm -hmm. felt him with me. But I get where he's coming from, too, because he's saying, like, he didn't, he did it this roundabout way because he doesn't feel like Christianity makes any sense until you have faced down some of these things he's talking about. Yeah. Which I think I, like, I get, I get that. And I feel like I probably have grappled with some of these. But, you know, he says, like, Christianity tells you that you need to repent and you get all, like, you get forgiven and all of this stuff. But if you don't understand, like, this whole moral law thing and, like, why it matters, then you don't feel like you have anything you need to repent of. Right. So. So a prolific Facebook friend of our 
Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group has addressed this very well, and I would direct our friends to read those comments mm -hmm. because there's real life and anecdotal observation in those comments mm -hmm. that really points to a practical understanding of what you and I kind of take for granted because of the way we were brought up. Right. And it helps to know how a person who has experienced that. And, and I, that being said, I mean, I did have a, peri a period of doubt in my life once um, simply because I was intellectually naive and, and unworldly and I had my eyes open very suddenly and, and received a lot of data over a short period of time and it messed with me for a while, mm -hmm. but I eventually came back home, uh, although I was never like totally lost. I just, I was just wondering if, you know, the other points of view were true and yeah. so I had to learn how to weigh them. Sure. Well, well, I like what he says. <clears throat> he like he has a very simple sentence that I think is really accurate, and I feel like I've even used it when talking with students and like, especially with their parents about addressing certain needs. He just says, "If you know you're sick, you listen to the doctor." Right. And like he he just points out like, if you've reached a place of desperation. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, some of the stuff starts, the stuff Christians talk about starts to make sense yeah. because you you reach this low point where you're like, oh, OK, suddenly I get it. But yeah. And, and I have to say that as a preacher for over 20 something years, I I've realized that one of the hardest things about preaching is that you're trying to tell people how much trouble they're in without offending them and yet without letting them drown you know you're mm -hmm. you're trying to say you're in trouble um you know if if we were if we were the first people to spot a tornado bearing down on our city and we ran through the streets saying tornado tornado everybody run for shelter some would some would question us mm -hmm. some people would run towards the storm to see if we were right mm -hmm. um but when it comes to telling people how much trouble they're in when it comes to God's judgment and and the quality of our lives having some value, after all, uh, many, many people just sit there and listen, uh, sometimes very politely, but they really don't take you that seriously. And one of the things that makes preaching difficult, but it, when, so it's the thing that makes preaching really difficult because you're standing up there knowing that half the people, if not more, are listening, but not really. Mm -hmm. And they're moved, but not really. And what I've experienced is, is that rather than get discouraged, I've just become even more committed. And so I just keep doing it. And I don't care. I don't want to say I don't care. But I don't let it bother me that they're not getting it as long as I'm delivering the message well. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean in an entertaining way. I just mean that in a way that God would approve of. Mm -hmm. So if God approves of the delivery of the message and people aren't listening, then I've done my job. And that's what I've had to learn to do. And I kind of feel like that's all part of this, you know, that that C.S. Lewis is saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep telling you guys you know, 
what I believe is a very scientific and, and practical and logical approach to these things. And I'm aware that some of you would rather deny the truth that stands right in front of your eyes than admit that you've been wrong all this time. Mm -hmm. And going off on a tangent here, but I guess that's the essence of sin, as I always like to say. It's one of my favorite comments. I make it a lot. Some people are probably tired of it. But it's always meant a lot to me to be able to define sin because I've been around so many people over the years who define sin in terms of moral behavior and attitudes. And that hasn't really changed. And what's funny is, is that there's a whole society out there right now that doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in God really, and yet they believe in the sin that comes with moral behavior. It's just that they've set the standard for the moral behavior and said, this is hate speech. And who determined that it was hate speech? Well, popular culture, or at least the person who's listening. And if they can get enough people to agree with them or people with power to agree with them, then you've been, de you've been declared immoral. But that's not an absolute law. That's just a particular cultural thing that happens to be prevalent. So I, I don't know. I'm maybe not making much sense. I think that the moral law we've been talking about would say that any speech that is intended to cause harm against another human yeah. is immoral. Well, and what's ironic is, is that right now in our society, if you say, I think you should go kill those people, and you say that about the wrong segment of society or a, a see wrong doesn't right and wrong doesn't even fit but if you make that public statement if i stood in the pulpit and said these people ought to be killed um if i said it about some people i'd probably not get anything but applause and if i said it about other people i would be labeled a, a hate speaker a terrorist a, a riot inciter or whatever and so we've witnessed it all over our society People can be on TV and publicly say on the record that you ought to go kill that guy and they don't do anything about that. But then if someone says in some remote village somewhere in the deepest heart of somewhere in the Midwest of Indiana or the Midwest uh, of America, rather, you know, uh, some little small utterance that just happened to get overheard by a certain person the next thing you know, you've got all this powers of the world cr coming down on you. And I know it sounds like I'm paranoid or, or I'm, you know, but I'm just, I'm just noticing in our society that morality has never been more subjective than it is now. It is more subjective at this time than I think I've ever imagined possible. And reading C.S. Lewis is just a really great way to remind us that, that, you know, when we when we let human pride and human determination be the ultimate guide to you know the 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 real essence of sin mm -hmm. even if you don't call it sin there's the problem and sin is really pride it's it's ironically the people who are are making the the decisions about what's politically correct and what's not politically correct are the, some of the most proud, sinful people you'll ever meet because sin is, a, is an arrogance towards God. 
I mean, that's all sin is. Sin is, is, is a puny little human being. And I'm trying, I'm hoping what I'm saying has some correlation to what we were just talking about. But it goes back to that argument of if, if there is an, an ultimate good that's in charge of the universe, then we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. If there isn't an ultimate good that's in charge of the universe, we're in trouble. Yeah. And the one thing that both scenarios have in common is, is we're still puny little created beings. And what's amazing is the arrogance of these puny little created beings. That's that's the thing that is mind-boggling. We think we're pretty great. Yeah. And, you know, history informs us that those kinds of arrogant people uh, come in all shapes and sizes, and some become very powerful, and they affect the lives of millions and millions of people. Um, but ultimately, it always ends the same way. It always ends the same way. And it's as though we never learn. The, the, you know, the old saying about people who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Um, that's a fact. You know, um, as a history student myself, I marvel at how so many things circle around and happen again. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a little fill there because we're done. Yeah, I mean, I have my my final, because he always says something so good at the end yep. of everyone, which is probably because it was radio and it was like the nice seal, but this, I, this is the one I marked because I just love it. He says, in religion, as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Most of us have got over that pre-war wishful thinking about international politics. It's time we did the same with religion. Hmm. It's good. That's very good. Stuff. And uh, Because I think a lot of people do turn to church to find that comfort, and it doesn't work. If you go just for that, like balm to make you feel better yeah but if you go like actually seeking substance (laughs) it's very comforting well you know i was just talking about the 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 challenge of being a preacher being a pastor being a preacher ought to be i guess like being someone's doctor Mm. someone's physician people come to me because I'm an appointed person who will endeavor to help you heal Mm -hmm. and not only help you heal, but also to help you grow strong. Um, You know, when you are healthy and you're not hurt, injured, sick or whatever, then your doctor becomes your partner in fitness. Mm -hmm. And your doctor's the one who says, you know, I think you should eat more greens. You should eat more yellow you should uh, take a vitamin once in a while you should get some exercise every day make sure you get plenty of sleep you know these are not pieces of advice for a sick person necessarily they're pieces of advice for all people Mm -hmm. and in the same way religion and the church and religious leaders um, are really practitioners who are trying to help you maintain a spiritual vitality um, that makes your life better and unfortunately even the people who practice the religion every week, spend their hour in the pew, many 
are like the ones who go see their doctor year after year and keep gaining more weight and keep right. developing worse diabetes. They and, want a quick fix for their problems. And they keep saying to the doctor, I don't understand. And the doctor said, well, did you cut back like I told you to? Um, did you change the amount of sugar you take in like I told you to? Have you been getting some exercise? Well, no, doc, it's just too hard. I haven't really done that. Then why are you complaining to me? Mm -hmm. And it's because I want you to give me a pill. Mm -hmm. Because then I can keep being lethargic, lazy, you know. And, and I'm not, friends, if there's anyone out there that's overweight and unhealthy, this isn't about that. But if we're going to be honest with each other, let's acknowledge that maybe you've heard that advice from your doctor. And why didn't it help you? Maybe you're one of those rare people who has a particular peculiar thyroid condition and you really are unhealthy because of some birth defect or a natural, uh, uh, naturally occurring something or other. But you know what? The vast majority of us who are carrying a little extra weight, myself included, we know why. Mm -hmm. And we know what to do about it. And really, I wish there was at least that much honesty in church where people would say, I enjoyed your sermon. I get that one a lot. But what I really love to hear is, is you really made me think, or I've made some changes because you're starting to really stir something in me that makes me feel like I should do more. Um, this isn't about me. Um, a doctor isn't necessarily trying to get you to believe in him or her. The doctor is trying to get you to do what their study and their observations and their training and everything has informed them will do you good. And in the same way, a theologian, pastor, whatever, I have a great deal of education, a great deal of practical experience. I have a great deal of, of uh, my own experimentation and thought. And all of that comes to bear when I'm giving you advice about a holy and spiritual life and or just coming away from a place of darkness and hopelessness and sickness in spirit and how to get better. You know, when I'm telling you all that, I'm not trying to tell you to believe in me. I'm trying to tell you to believe in what I've come to know and that I've been appointed to communicate that to you with a particular calling. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a doctor. That's a that's that's your dentist. That's your your chiropractor. That's your cardiologist. And that's also your pastor. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, pastors who take themselves too seriously fail miserably. But you know what? So do physicians and dentists and chiropractors and politicians who say they're here to serve the people and on and on it goes. Whenever it's all about you, you're not helping anybody but yourself. And in the end, you haven't even helped yourself that much because you've alienated everybody around mm -hmm. you. Well. Brene Brown is somebody that I just really, she's so awesome. Um, if you haven't read anything by Brene Brown, I really highly recommend. She's um, a researcher. She has an MSW. She has, I think she has some other degrees too that I'm forgetting and I feel bad about that. Um, but she's basically a really awesome person who has kind of made her life's work about studying bravery and courage and what it means to step out of a place of comfort, basically. Um, and she uses a phrase that some other people use too, but she uses a phrase that I really like and I think goes with this conversation um, about like going seeking truth. Um, she she says you have to be willing to lean in to discomfort. Yeah, and you have to be willing to lean into that. So I think like Lewis is saying, and Brene Brown says like if you 
go seeking truth and you lean into that conviction, then you're going to be comforted. Because when you lean into those things that make you uncomfortable, it's going to make you more uncomfortable at first, but then you're going to grow so much from those things. Well, and how many things in life are uncomfortable until we experience them enough that they're no longer uncomfortable? I mean... You know, I went to the gym today, and I can tell you that six, eight weeks ago, when I first started, a lot of what I was doing today was uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but it wasn't so uncomfortable today. Yeah. So consistent practice has made me stronger and made me adapt to the challenges, mm-hmm. which is why eventually I have to change the challenges so they start making right. me uncomfortable some more. And yeah, because this, this you don't idea. want to plateau right, in know. anything you do. And that's right. And and I think, that especially a lot of people my age, I see a lot of people my age and older who are really comfortable. Yeah. And they're very content to be comfortable. And some will even argue, hey, I paid my dues. I did this or that. But, you know, the really sad thing is, is the price they ultimately pay is not disengagement, but decline. Yeah. You know, because not only are they disengaged because they're incredibly comfortable, but they're also at risk of declining significantly in their health, in their mental abilities, in their social lives, in their spiritual lives. You know, that that really working at being alert and connected and thoughtful Mm -hmm. and and, uh, loving and part of God's creation up until the moment he calls you home makes more sense, even from just a practical standpoint. Because it means that you're going to keep your mind active, you're going to keep your body healthy, and, you know, it's just really sad, you know, because I'm getting a lot of Facebook messages now because my 40th high school reunion is next year. It's hard to believe it's been 40 years since I graduated from high school. But what's interesting is is some of my classmates have already died. Mm -hmm. Some of my classmates look like they could die any moment please forgive me if one of you is listening i'm not speaking of anyone in particular but when you see people my age in their mid to late 50s that's kind of one of those points where everything you've done up to that point starts to come to haunt you Mm -hmm. and if you've tried to live a fairly healthy lifestyle and i'm not talking about you know, like the AARP ads or anything. I'm just talking about people who weren't abusive to their bodies, who mm-hmm. just, who kept busy and active and, and who kept their brains going and their bodies going. Usually about now is when it starts to really show. And you know what? We went on a really vicious hike a couple of days back or last week. And, I still have a And, verse. you know, I made that hike 20 years ago. And 20 years later, I made that hike again. Mm-hmm. And if you guys will be kind enough to indulge me you'll have to admit that i was hopping and skipping ahead of you guys most of the time uh you know partly because i knew where we were going but also because i still have some vigor i I, i'm still healthy i'm not as young as i used to be but i still can hop across the rocks in the stream i can still climb up those small cliffs and walk across a log i mean i walked across a log Mm -hmm six or eight feet above a creek and and balanced and just walk straight across it and back again and you know and again i'm not boasting friends i'm just saying i'm i'm confident that some of that has to do with the fact that i've tried to keep active and alert Mm -hmm. and fit and intentionally kept my mind uh you know i before i go to bed tonight i'll play on an app on my phone that's really just one of those keep your brain sharp apps 
and and it's really just because I you know I I mean I'm I'm maybe the only guy in my neighborhood who uses a push mower. Everybody else is on riding mowers, but I use a push mower because it's an opportunity to stay fit. And there's nothing about me that looks like the picture of fitness, but I believe that I'm not suffering in some ways that other people my age suffer simply because I've tried to keep active. Now, before this starts sounding like, look at me, I'm Mr. Fitness, my point is not to say how awesome I am because of that. My real point is to say, this is why it's so important to continually work your mind. And it really comes back to what we started talking about a moment ago, which is, Comfortable people are easily led astray. Right. If you don't continue to be convicted and deal with that discomfort, then I think you're going to get stagnant and you're going I mean, to be you led, you could be led astray. everything that you hear on CNN and Fox, I'm sorry, but shame on you. If you believe everything you of, hear yeah. on, you know, the two major cable news networks shame on you because they both have an agenda and they're only telling you what they want you to know think Mm -hmm. and and with that i'm going to wrap our podcast by reminding you that the premise behind knowing god with heart and mind has been from the day we started critical thinking Mm -hmm. we have said from the moment this thing started well i say we i was doing this long before i brought bethany beside me but she's such a good critical thinker that i couldn't do this without her and have as much fun and so I'm just telling you, uh, and, and those that, those people who comment on the Facebook page, I see really tremendous critical yes. thinking there. And that's the whole point. I mean, whether or not you agree with us about Christianity, whether or not you agree with us about the Bible, Book of Revelation, any of the stuff we talked about, I just hope you're thinking. Because that's what we want you to do. We want mm-hmm. you to think. And if you don't agree with us, good. At least we know you're thinking. Right. Tell us. You know, because if you're not agreeing with us, at least you're thinking. But if you're agreeing with us without thinking, then be careful. You might be comfortable. (laughs) But, and I will say, since you were talking about how you you feel like some people in certain generations are very comfortable, like people your age, some people have gotten comfortable. I'm not saying this because it's my generation, but I feel like millennials catch all kinds of flack. But one thing that I see in that generation is people who are willing to be uncomfortable and be convicted. I'm excited about the generation coming up because I feel like they're willing to dive into those heavy, hard questions. I love millennials. And I mean, (laughs) I really do. And it's because I've really had a lot of experience with some millennial thinkers in the last several years. And they inspire me. And what I find is, is that I can inspire them too. Mm -hmm. And I think it has everything to do with mutual respect. Yeah. And maybe the maybe the secret sauce in our podcast has been that it's a it's an old man talking to a millennial, <laughs> sort of. I'm not really that old, but but you know what I mean. It's it's like I don't feel that millennial either. I yeah, well you know, <laughs> I just but but I really look forward to having more conversations with millennials, and I I would love for this podcast to turn into something bigger than. Just you and me and a couple of really wonderful people who comment regularly on Facebook. I, I wish it would evolve, not to grow big. I don't need to be, you know, the next great podcaster or YouTuber or blogger or whatever. I don't want to be any of that. But what I really want is to have engagement with people that I don't get to talk to in church every week, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the reason is, is because I love the way you think. 
Well, and it's also kind of hard to have those, like, deep conversations on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, you want to tell me, you know, that you've been reading a good book lately. You know, you can't really tell me on Sunday morning. I got too much going on. But any other day of the week, I'll make time for mm-hmm. it. But but seriously, I, you know, if you're millennials or you know a millennial, you know, tell them to give this a try. Um, because I would love to talk with them. So, Okay, well, you know, we we actually thought we were going to be done in 20 (laughs) minutes, but we finished the study in 20 minutes, but we did kind of use our extra time for some freewheeling commentary. Uh, Folks, thanks for listening. As always, you honor us more than you can know because because we don't take ourselves so seriously. And uh, with that being said, I hope that you would want to be a part of a church where where a humble leader is in charge and giving you good direction from God's heart and mind and uh, surrounding themselves with humble leaders. And, you know, if, if you want to be in a church that I think is working in a really diligent way to be that kind of church, then Shiloh is a good place. Shiloh's in Jasper, Indiana. That's down there in the southwest corner near Evansville. Uh, if you're from this area, please come give us a visit sometime. I'd love to meet you face-to-face. If you're not, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, I want you to be part of a church somewhere. That's really important. You've got to interact with other people so that you can spur each other on and have these intellectual uh, exercises that are so good for your heart and soul. Um, If you want to know more about us, more about Shiloh, just go to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And uh, you can start there and learn a lot. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's scary, but you can Google me and who knows what you'll find out there. Some of it might be true. In any case, we're really honored to have you listening and uh, we hope to hear from you really soon. And some of you snowbirds, I'm missing you. I wish you'd hurry up and get back to Jasper. (laughs) You know who you are. Hi, Mom. (laughs) That was weird. Yeah, it was because my mom's not a snowbird. But she listens every week, so... So, Snowbirds, I was talking about you. My mom's not one of you, but hi, Mom. So, all that being said, it's time to probably say God bless you and bye. Bye.